Hello and welcome to Horrific Tales. In this show we celebrate the creations of independent authors and aspiring writers. Please like and subscribe and share these episodes so we can help our talented friends get as much exposure as possible. We would also appreciate if you could support our artists by following them on their individual platforms and by purchasing their works. Details on how to do this are in the episode description. In this horrific tale, a real estate developer finds himself trying to bargain with an urban myth to make the pitch of his life. Join us now as we present Lorelei by Eugene McLean. You better get to making things right before it's too late, Michael Bennett, grumbled the old woman in the corner of the store through an air toothless mouth stained with chewing tobacco. How do you know who I am? Bennett asked impatiently. A moment of deathly silence was followed by everyone in the old roadside store, laughing loudly. Look at him, the groan crackled. You like to have shit those fancy pantsies got on? The only person other than the brunt of the joke that apparently found no humour in the conversation was a grizzled old man behind the counter. Y'all hush up, he reprimanded the other Denzians of the East Texas swamps, turning a scowling expression to the man that had come in and off the road to ask directions he queried. Do you think that we're so backwards here that we haven't heard about you and your wife? We even had a bet going as to whether your wife's condition is due to attempted suicide or attempted murder. Maybe someday she'll wake up and tell the truth as to what really happened. Until then, my money's on attempted murder. Fuck you people, Bennett angrily shouted. Suddenly, the jovial atmosphere in the room became palpably hostile. Language, Michael, the clerk growled. Before I send you and your disrespectful mouth down the road to the damnation waiting for you, I'll give you the directions to the Sparks place. Wouldn't want you and your meeting with the devil to be delayed any more than it already is. As Michael Bennett strode angrily out to his car, he was cursing the map function on his phone that had failed and caused him to have to ask for help from the locals. He was even too busy indulging his peak to notice as he drove away that the old establishment had changed since he walked hastily out of it. It had transformed into a roofless, dilapidated, and overgrown shell that no one in life had been in since August of 1970. That was when it mysteriously burned down, and suddenly engulfing flames trapping and killing everyone inside. In the long and narrow driveway, lined at both sides with thick hedges of azalea bushes, it bent up a small hill that was topped with an elegant and stately manor. Sitting in a rocking chair on the front porch that was heavily draped in wisteria vines was Lee Sparks. Thin and waif-like, the young woman with blonde hair pulled back in a ponytail had her light blue eyes focused on a book in her lap. As his foot started to set on the bottom step of stairs, Michael Bennett references the thick tone by saying, Ghostly Tales by J.S. Lafono. I was required to read Carmilla in high school. One of my favourites. How is it for you? asked the woman. Wasn't really something that I got into reading, he replied. Michael Bennett at your service. Am I speaking to Lorelei Sparks? Yes, you are. Please have a seat, Mr. Bennett, Lorelei said quietly as she pointed with her open hand towards a vacant chair just like her own. Would you like some freshly brewed sweet tea? That would be great, thank you. Bennett let out a slight gasp as his hand touched Lorelei's fingers while taking the glass offered to him. It wasn't like he had touched skin, however, but more like ice-cold puff of air, and it set the chill through his whole body. He was sure that Lorelei heard, if not felt his reaction, because a sly smile parted her thin lips. As tactfully as possible, he recovered the awkward moment by commenting, There's a really nice place you have here. There's nothing like what was on the satellite images. Thank you so very much. We put a lot of work into maintaining it and keeping the property as it was originally. As for the images that modern technology presented to you, 
I cannot explain. Modern technology? Bennett asked after noting the hint of disdain in Laura Lee's voice. You might say that I'm a bit old fashioned in that regard. People have come entirely too dependent on what they get from computers and satellites when they test for signs of deception. They should instead be questioning their perception of things. You make your own reality, after all is said and done. You're talking about cognitive bias? Upon seeing the querying lift of a single eyebrow, Bennett explained. It's like when people go to a supposedly haunted house. They expect to see ghosts, and if their belief is strong enough, they do. I see. I suppose that you don't believe in ghosts. Never met one. That you know of. Looking up at the fragrant blue and white blossoms, Lorley asked her doubting visitor. What month is it? Temporarily stunned by the breakneck change in the direction of conversation, Michael studies. Uh, February. Uh, why do you ask that? These flowers don't bloom until just before Easter, or early April in this area. How do you account for them doing so now? Climate change, he said with a sarcastic grin. With an indignant scowl, Lorley looks at the real estate developer as her eyes grow dark. And what of this house that you so admire? What if it was nothing but a facade? I would say that whoever built it did a damn good job. Indeed. Then why don't you look inside and find out for sure? When the man hesitated, Lorley insisted. Get up and look for yourself, Mr. Bennett. Seemingly under a spell that moved his limbs without his control, Bennett did get up from his chair and placed himself before the ornately carved entrance. The door swung slowly wide open and revealed a scene of crumbling degeneration, with gnarled trees and leafless bushes pushed up through broken floorboards. Almost instantly, Bennett was assaulted by the overwhelming stance of putrefaction amid a cloud of blowflies that swarmed at his face. He painfully fell hard onto his back, unable to take another breath and heaving. Everything was swirling around him with a loud buzzing bored into his skull. When after what seemed to be hours, he finally recovered his senses. Bennett looked through blurry eyes at the Stegian world he'd become part of. That once pristine Georgian Salmanson was now in a fallen pile of rubble and rotted timbers. Water dripped like rain from branches draped with moss, with a stagnant smelling fog condensed. Night had fallen, and the only light was the ethereal glow that appeared to fade in and out as it moved among the trees and bushes, as if it were a living thing. With every bit of strength that Michael Bennett could push into his muzzle, he managed to turn onto his side. He nearly bumped his nose on the skeletonized shins, with tattered bits of grey rotting flesh hanging to them. Just beyond this hideous vision, his eyes came for a brief moment into focus. Standing there, smiling with dreadful satisfaction, was his wife. Hell on Earth That's what locals call this hundred-odd acre tract of swampland along the Sulphur River. It wasn't enough that it was insufferably hot and humid here, even in the coldest days of winter, it was not just the swarms of yellow flies waiting to take a chunk out of you and leave a crippling or deadly disease behind. It was, of course, the infernal lair of Laurelly, and that by itself was enough to keep smarter people staring far clear of the area. Sheriff Gonsalves considered all of this, and felt guilty about sending his deputies into such a place to search for Michael Bennett. The wealthy real estate developer, however, was well connected in Austin, and was also the son-in-law of Thomas Big Tom Hempstead whose family had basically owned much of the state for decades. It was therefore a convenient excuse for Gonsalves to wait for the oil and gas magnates' arrival outside the gate of the old estate. The acreage the sheriff stood in front of had not always been cursed. Back before the War of Northern Aggression, it had been a private river bottom farmland. The carpetbagger James Sparks had married a 16-year-old Lorley Olsen to get his grubby hands on it after the girls had been orphaned by the combination of war and typhus. The prosperity that such holdings rendered to Sparks was short-lived, however. 
Not long after he replaced the old farmhouse with a grand manor, he returned home drunk and belligerent from a night in town, and argued with his young and pregnant wife. The confrontation turned violent, and the resultant beating that Laura Lee received caused her to lose her unborn child. According to the story, when her husband came back some days later from a business trip to Houston, Laura Lee met him in the parlour with the fetus in one bloody hand, and a razor-sharp butcher's knife in the other. Laura Lee was a slight girl, and weak from blood loss. Her husband's entire body would have been far too cumbersome for her to drag all the way down to the river, so she proceeded to put the large knife to its intended use. The alligators, that dwelt in nearly impenetrable riverside swamps, would die especially well that night. At least that was the plan. Suffering near total exhaustion, Lorley stepped too close to the river's muddy water to heave the last sparks remains into it, slipped and fell in. Without the strength to exercise herself, she drowned. Thus began the legend of Lorley. Sheriff's reverie was suddenly broken by the sound of a large SUV's tires crunching gravel. Tom Hempstead may have lived up to his big nickname in his youth, but not now. The suit that climbed out of the rich man's toy seemed a bit too large for the withered old man it was draped on. Gonzalves walked up and asked, Mr. Hempstead? Yes, said the man, as he ignored the hand presented to him, to shake in the traditional gentleman's greeting. What's the status of your search? Not surprised by the gesture, or lack of it, the county's chief law enforcer dropped his hand and said bluntly, Still looking. Why out here? Cell pinged to this approximate location. Even though he knew the answer to the next question, Gonzalves asked anyway, Did your daughter accompany you? It had been all over the news that Tamara Hempstead Bennett had tried to kill herself after learning of her husband's infidelity. She was in a coma for the last three months since then. It was therefore not surprising that Tom responded to his pop quiz by glaring angrily and spitting out, No. Just as the sheriff started to continue his question and answer with Hempstead, the two-way on his hip buzzed. Over the crackle of heavy interference came the voice of Sergeant Edwards. We found him, Sheriff. Or what's left of him. Right where you said it would be in the ruins of the old house. Looks like Lorley got another one. You sure about that ID? The wedding ring in his left hand we find is real unusual. It matches the one that was pictured on the building. Got it. Send the GPS coordinates to me, and I'll send in the CSI people when they get there. Sending now. Who or what the hell is Lorley? The old man asked, in a quivering squeak of a voice. Gonzalez confirmed receipt of the GPS before turning a sideways look in Hempstead's direction. I take it you haven't heard of the most famous of local residents. With no answer forthcoming from his guest, Gonzalez continued, Lorley is the vengeful spirit that haunts these woods, and carves up like Christmas turkey any one of us male-type individuals who abuse the trust of their significant other. Bullshit! Maybe BS, sir, but there are a lot of folks around here that believe it. The sheriff pointed to a large heap of stones rounded and smooth by the river. For instance, that pile over there is considered to be a kind of altar to Lorelei. Spurned on or abused women take a rock from that river and leave a note explaining their situation, and hoping that Lorelei will take care of business for them. To sweeten the request, it is a tradition to leave money. Turning his eyes skywards in incredulity, Hempstead grumbles, Why doesn't someone just move the rock pile? It's been done. They show back up like they were never disturbed a day or two later. Anyway, most folks these days don't walk around with dollars or change in their pockets. There's a lot of plastic now that gets shoved among the rocks. Like this credit card we found with your daughter's name on it. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our latest horrific tale. If you want to keep up to date with the future episodes, then subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow our social media pages. You can also give the channel support by visiting our merchandise store 
and picking up some of our items. Please also take a moment to support our contributing artists who very kindly lend their talents to the show. Check out the links in the description how you can do this. Well, that just leaves me to say, until next time my friends, keep it creepy, keep it horrific.